Welcome to Daily Drive for Wednesday, April 5th, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Callan Walker. We're coming to you from the New York Auto Show. Today on the show, GM vaults over Ford as the number two seller of EVs in the U.S. Kia plans its own EV blitz by 2030. And Nissan's America's chief eyes closer partnerships with dealers. Plus, we'll talk with Stellantis North America COO Mark Stewart here from the New York Auto Show. In terms of our discipline for pricing, for profitability, for at the same time making sure we've got the right trim mixes in the marketplace for customers, we've done a little bit of adjusting on the trim mix with the inflationary times so that things are affordable for the customers. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. General Motors outsold Ford and electric vehicles by nearly two to one in the first three months of the year. Ford sold almost 11,000 EVs in the U.S. during the first quarter, up more than 40% from a year ago. But that was still well behind the more than 20,000 plug-ins GM sold in the same period. Sales of Ford's electric Mustang Mach-E fell almost 20% to 5,400. The Mach-E's factory in Mexico was down for much of the quarter as the automaker expands it to double capacity to 210,000 vehicles a year. Ford also lost five weeks of production of its F-150 Lightning plug-in pickup due to a battery fire, which led to a small recall. Ford says today that all three of its electric vehicles and plug-in hybrids are eligible for the Inflation Reduction Act federal tax credits this year. The company's Mustang Mach-E electric SUV will be eligible for a $3,750 credit, while the F-150 Lightning pickup will be eligible for the full $7,500 credit. Meanwhile, Kia is ramping up its EV ambitions with a fresh goal to get more than half of its global sales from electrified vehicles in 2030. That's as it targets a 34% increase in total global volume to 4.3 million vehicles in that time. Kia CEO Ho Sung Song outlined the new vision today in the company's annual CEO Investor Day presentation. The automaker wants to sell about 2.4 million full electric and hybrid vehicles in 2030. That represents a 300,000 vehicle increase over Kia's target from last year. Here in New York, Nissan's America's chief says the company's Ambition 2030 strategy is going to involve even more cooperation with dealers than the company has been enjoying in recent years. Nissan America's chairperson, Jeremy Papin, says in the near to medium future, he sees dealers remaining involved with vehicles through multiple owners by way of Second Life battery usage, leases of pre-owned vehicles, and over-the-air updates. We don't want to be successful at the expense of the customer, at the expense of our dealers, at the expense of our suppliers. We, we want all of, all of our constituents to be uh, uh, successful. Pappen was speaking Tuesday at the New York Auto Forum ahead of the New York Auto Show. In the wake of former Chairman Carlos Ghosn's hard-charging goals, Nissan has been improving its relations with dealers. The greater collaboration is important as more mainstream customers adopt electric vehicles, a business in which Nissan was a pioneer. And speaking of the New York Auto Forum, a couple of themes emerged from speakers yesterday. They say the return to more regular economic activity after the supply chain snarls and federal stimulus of the pandemic is making this year's historically excellent prospects look almost disappointing. J.D. Power President of Data and Analytics Thomas King noted 
that last year was hands down the most profitable year ever for auto dealers. This year, rising production and increasing competition are already driving down prices and profit margins, and King warned against producing in excess of high-end models. Well, as production starts to rise, if you keep building the rich mix that you had before, you're going to start to oversaturate the high end of the market with more production, true, but too many really expensive vehicles. King points out that a third of all new vehicles in March sold over sticker price, down from a high of about half of all new vehicles in July. He says J.D. Power expects the number to continue to come down over the rest of the year as inventories rise cutting into profitability for retailers. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, once again, we are back in the Hyundai house. We did this last time at the LA show. We're now in the Big Apple in New York. What have you seen so far? What's caught your eye here at the show? You know, it's a early day. I came in this morning. I saw the Ram EV. I saw the Hyundai Kona. And then I've been meetings all day since then. So I'm really looking forward to walking the show and seeing everything else. But the Kona looks nice. The Ram EV, we saw that out at CES. Yes. You know, it's toned down a little from that concept car. That's usually the pattern, but it still looks very impressive. And they've really focused in less on the far out uh, fantasy tech that we saw in Las Vegas and more on the really long range, 350 miles for wow. the base battery, 500 for the big battery. Wow. And they're promising a, ver a version in the future that will have an even longer range than that. Wow, that is insane. I can't, I'm going to go actually check that out after You're we're done. Have to. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Coming up, Jamie talks with Stellantis' top executive in North America. Mark Stewart joins us next on Daily Drive. Hi, I'm Pete Bigelow, host of Shift, a podcast about mobility from Automotive News. Each week, I bring you a conversation with leaders who are on the cutting edge of transportation, like this one with consultant and strategist Salika Josiah Talbot. The technologists are forcing themselves in a space that they shouldn't be. And I think the social scientists and politicians are falling down on the job. To hear more about the new technology and policy reshaping the way people and goods move around, join me on Shift. New episodes each Sunday on autonews.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Stellantis has had a big presence here in the New York Auto Show already this week. The automaker debuted the Ram 1500 Rev electric pickup, which it says will have up to 500 miles of range with its largest battery pack. It also introduced the 2024 Jeep Wrangler. Stellantis hopes the new vehicles will help it get out of its slump in the U.S. Sales were down 9% in the first quarter, representing its seventh consecutive quarterly sales decline. I talked about all of this with Stellantis North America COO Mark Stewart here at the New York Auto Show. Mike Koval just revealed the uh, production version of the uh, Ram 1500. I guess Rev is the name. It's not just Ram 1500 EV. It's yeah. the Rev. Ram Rev. So, Say it five times, Jamie. Ram Rev. If I repeat it, it'll become right. that feel natural after That's a while. That's right. Yeah. Okay, I'll keep working on that. Um, so... 500 miles of range, up to 500, 350 on the base, 500 for the long, and then promises of an extended range beyond that. Why would people need more than 500 miles of range? I think we, we want to make sure, we think about our, our mantra, built to serve, right? We want to make sure we can serve, whether, whether it's you're out daily driving to and from work or whether you've got a horse trailer behind you. We want to make sure we've got a solution for all our customers of today and for tomorrow. So that's why multiple battery packs in different for different 
customer lifestyles, right, for sure. So are we talking about an even bigger battery that could go 700, 800 miles? I, I can't, I, I have to let Koval hold, I have to hold and let Koval share the details on that as much as I want to. Well, but uh, but for sure, we've got we've got some really, really great uh, engineering work that's, uh, that's ready to be launched as well that I think is gonna be super exciting for the Ram customers. Well, yeah, because the term, like extended range makes, reminds me of the old range extender idea of an onboard generator to charge the battery. Yeah. So it could be that. Could be. Could be. Among the engineering <laughs> solutions. Right. So let me ask you another one about the RAM. You know, the other EV pickups, at least among the Detroit 3, have had this sort of bipolar, bi two-pronged approach. A, a super high-end truck that's six figures and uh, is loaded with everything they can think of, and then a more I don't want to say modest price, but uh, something closer to uh, a well-equipped regular truck price. Um, you guys have seem to have a little different strategy, not a, not so much two-pronged, but more uh, together. Yeah, I think if, if you look at where we are today, is, is probably a great predictor of where we will likely be in the future as well, where we've got DS Classic, we've got the DT, and then we've got the TRX, right? So we, we also cover a full range with today's ICE powertrains. As we look to tomorrow, right? This is this is the start of our entry into the BEVs, and I think you'll you'll wind up seeing uh, Cobalt coming forward with a full lineup very similar to what we have in today's world as well. So, I was so excited in January seeing the concept at CES. Uh, it has so many cool features to it, and here we are, just three months later, and you've dashed all my hopes. Uh, whereas there's no Roomba to charge itself, there's no you know pass through for giant pieces of wood, there's no follow me autonomous mode, or at least they weren't promised today. Are those things that we might still see in actual production? No, ab absolutely. We'll we'll see those in uh, in production over time, right? So the the whole point was just to show all the things our engineering team is working on to bring into serial production. But step one is is that comfort zone of today's customer and what people need in this transitionary period, which is, I, I love my RAM, I wanna make sure that RAM looks like my RAM today with, the, with all the comforts, with all the features, with all the best in class uh, tick the box. And, uh, and so that was step one for us for that, while, while looking to that aspirational side of the, of the revolution concept. I mean, obviously uh, the Enterprise in Auburn Hills is no longer related to the guys in Stuttgart, but that three-screen uh, front is like reminds me more of a, a Mercedes than uh, you know the high-end electric Mercedes like an EQS than really anything else on the market. Well, we we really have uh, gotten off, and I I like to refer it to our to our Jeep lineup, right? Because our our Grand Cherokees and our Wagoneer Grand Wagoneers all have that three-screen concept already in production. So it's really taking that UConnect system of our of our R series uh, into the into the truck world. That's why we were great to get on this new Atlantis architecture so that we could do that. So also today we have some Jeep news, uh, refreshed Wrangler. You are a bit of a Wrangler guy. What do, what are you are you excited about this refresh? I am, I am super excited about it. You know, as excited as I am about driving my '75 CJ5 as as driving the 2024 version of the Wrangler. Speaking of Jeep, are you worried at all about the Wagoneer and its uh, reception in the marketplace? I, yesterday, J.D. Power was talking about, at the, at the J.D. Power event, they were talking about vehicles that have 
finally kind of outpriced you know, consumer demand for luxury. The vehicles on lots are on average, this MSRP is $5,000 higher than what's selling right now, which is kind of unusually high gap. Of course, we had seen for so long, it's like the more you could add, especially on a truck or a SUV, the more people wanted it. Has the market finally kind of overshot that and is the Wagoneer maybe the poster child for that? No, absolutely, I don't think so. You know, we, we started ramping that quite slowly. Uh, we were not pleased with where we were uh, in terms of the plant and some of cleaning up some of our engineering stuff and getting ready for the long wheelbase. So we took a time out. We specifically took a month to, to organize ourselves, get ready for the L launch, make sure the quality was perfect. And so we're ramping that volume up now. And you know, over this last year of us not being in that marketplace for more than 30 years, uh, we're at 10% market, from zero to 10% market share. And so when we look across that, we, we're really using with our analytics team, uh, really looking to the feature sets that are most important, not important, across our whole lineup, by the way, uh, to make sure. But I think absolutely not. When we, and that's why things like New York Auto Show are great. Butts in seats sell vehicles, and in particular, it sells a Wagoneer Grand Wagoneer, <laughs> because people are like, Oh, I remember that. My dad had one. My grandpa had one. My grandma had one. And then they get in this one. It's like, oh, wow. It's not your dad's Wagoneer, right? right? It has all the fun of it, but the luxury of that is absolutely outstanding. And once people sit, they buy. If they can afford it. It is not a car for but every we have, But we've got, a, we've got a full lineup on it, uh, Jamie, as well, right? Because it can be... It can be in the 70s up to just over 100. So there's a, there's a wide range there. We've got three different series across the, the two models. So in general, how did, or how did you feel about first quarter sales and what do you think about the year ahead? I mean, Stellantis and Toyota had kind of the, the two bummer results uh, in for the first quarter. What, what was going on there? Yeah, in terms of the, uh, you know, we're not we're not overly pleased with exactly where our share was. We were two percentage points off of this time last year. Uh, last year, quarter one was absolutely outstanding for us at twelve percent versus the ten point one we came in at. This time last year, we had the old Grand Cherokee and the new Grand Cherokee running at the same time, so that was uh, that was a, a big chunk of that, you know. And then we've we've had a, a few of the stops that we've had to do uh, in in correcting a, a past recall issue on heavy duty. So those two things slowed us down a bit in quarter one, uh, comparatively. But uh, what's great is we're ramping the four by E version of Grand Cherokee and that is really taking on with the market share and so we're feeling very good about actually getting to to the right level of share that we're going for. We're sitting at just right at 14% I think total on Grand Cherokee and we want to get that above 15%. So, but in terms of our discipline for uh, for pricing, for profitability, for for at the same time making sure we've got the right trim mixes in the marketplace for customers. Uh, we've done a little bit of adjusting on our on the trim mix uh, with the inflationary times so that things are affordable for the customers. Right. It kind of stood out in the even in the press release, Jeff Comer talked about, you know, making the necessary adjustments. Is that could that be, you know, reducing production or increasing incentives well, or at, is it more about know, like saying, a mix of it, trim levels? Neither, neither of those two things, right? We, that's just a normal course of business for us, right? Is we, we speed up or we slow down uh, to make sure we're in the right window that we want to be in on inventory. Uh, but it's really looking to, as, as we come into a more inflationary environment, of looking at the affordability for folks with the, with the change in the interest rates and so forth. So it is, uh, we were a little bit heavy on the higher end of the trend mixes across some of the platforms, so we made sure that 
we're putting more to the, the entry and mid-level trim mixes in. So that's what Jeff meant by that adjustment. Okay. And that's also consistent really with what J.D. Power was kind of suggesting. Not, I, I didn't mean to put words in their mouth about blaming the Wagoneer, but that, yeah. that a lot of it was trim levels that were skewing to the high end and we need to bring some more Yeah, because in, uh, in the last the couple market. of years, especially with, uh, with the microchip shortages and so forth, most folks have been running on the higher trim. We, uh, we obviously have as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and, but pulsing what the customers are looking for. But we're probably 60 days, uh, we should, 60 days prior, we probably should have adjusted that mix a little bit more than we did. But uh, had a, had a very strong finish to March, so feeling good about it. Okay, and that you feel good about the second quarter and the rest of the year. We're we're we are knock knock feeling good. Okay. Uh, to, <laughs> a lot of things to, to, from an industry well. standpoint, industry still seems to be hanging in there, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, from from that standpoint, we're excited about our lineup of product, and uh, and making sure that we're getting all that uh, you know around the country at the with the right mix for the customers. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer, as well as our own Jackson Hallauer, Tom Carl, Hans Greimel, and Molly Boygon for their help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news and updates from the New York Auto Show and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for the rest of my conversation with Mark Stewart here in New York. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.